preaching that your word has leapt off of a page and into our hearts as your spirit has lit it up for us and, and helped it make sense to us, that it's quickened it into our souls. God, would you do that here? And God, for those who their honest space is just that they, they maybe can't even say that to you yet, that they want to hear from you. God, may they know that they're in a safe place, and God, may you surprise them. May you surprise them too, God, and letting them know they've heard from you. God, I pray that your word would be rich. I pray that our minds would be expanded out to try harder to grasp the grandness of who you are and your love for us. And let that ever more increasingly transform us for joy in you and for impact in your name. And I ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I invite you to have a seat. If you have a copy uh, of the scriptures, you turn to Ephesians chapter 3 or on your device or whatever it may be. We'll have it for you on the screen as well, but we'll look today at the latter half of Ephesians chapter 3. And I am realizing now that I didn't have my Bible marked there, so you bear with me. We will get there. All right, Ephesians chapter 3. As you're turning there, share with you that in recent weeks, probably two, three weeks ago, maybe because of this series, I'm not sure why, but a moment that had kind of captured my attention several years back, seven or eight years ago from Hollywood, grabbed my attention again. And I went out online and found the video and watched it again. And it probably made me laugh a little bit just because I thought it was funny. But it also uh, is a moment that garnered my, my attention and my appreciation because of the big picture message that was made. It was when an actor who I, I don't have a particular fandom for or against, but actor Jim Carrey was at the Golden Globe Award several years back, and, and he was there in this moment at least not to receive an award. He was there to present the nominees, which, as I think about it now, seems a little awkward that somebody would come forward just to tell you who the nominees are, and, and it's even more awkward that before he comes forward, a voice out of the sky over a loudspeaker tells you who he is that's coming to present. So that voice presents the presenter, then the presenter comes and tells you who the people are, and, and the voice that came out of the sky through the speaker as he walked up to present it said, now welcome two-time Golden Globe Award winner Jim Carrey. And everybody clapped, and he walked up to the mic. And I have no idea if he knew that's what they would say, and this was all planned, or if it was just unscripted. But either way, I love where he took our minds and hearts. He waited on the applause to stop, and he said, it's good to be here. I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. And he smiled, and everyone chuckled and clapped for him. And you would think that would kind of be the end of the joke, but he said, uh, and, I, and I want you to know that, that when I go to sleep at night, I don't just go to, to sleep at night just to dream any old dreams. I go to sleep at night as two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey to get some well-earned shut-eye and to dream dreams of eventually being three-time Golden Globe Award winner Jim Carrey, and everybody's laughing at this point, and then he says the point that drove it home for me, and he said, because then, if I get the third Golden Globe Award, then I'll be enough. 
It'll finally be enough then. And, and he talks about how if you were to span out to the cosmos, you wouldn't even be able to find our planet in the midst of this grand vastness and how in the midst of that, we're not even a visible speck in the, on this big, huge rock that we call Earth. And then he says, but hey, you know, in, in light of our limited, small perspective, this award is a really big deal, Right? And, and I loved it because I, I thought it was humorous. I thought it was very clever and witty. But I also loved it because I, I don't know anything about his beliefs or where he's at in life. But at least in that moment, he had a clear grasp on the reality of who he really is, right? That he's gone through this pursuit for acclaim and he's made millions as an actor. But he also knows that he's just one soul walking around on one planet inside the vastness of God's great glory, right? He knows who he is, and at least in that moment, it seemed that it's keeping him grounded in a way that might be different from those he was presenting to. See, that, that idea of remembering who we are is kind of why we're in this Bible study series on Sunday mornings. We're, we're seeking in Ephesians to see what does it mean for God to have remade us. That when he saved us through the cross of Jesus and awakened our hearts to trust him and accept his grace, that when he did that, it wasn't just that he moved us from one list to another list, from those who were, were lost to those who were saved, from those who were not Christian to those who were Christian. That happened in a one-time moment. If you've ever become his, you're his and you were safe in him. That's true, but it's not only that. It's also that he did a work of transformation inside of us by his grace. He re-identified us. He literally has remade us. And the more that we can remember who we are in him, the more that we will flourish in this new God-given identity. If you've been around with us, we've made our way through the first two and a half chapters. We kind of left off in a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago actually, with chapter two. The big point there became that, that there is this strong, worthwhile, worth fighting for, worth pursuing unity within those who are followers of Jesus. That within the body of Christ, the capital C church globally, but also as much as possible within its local expressions, just like us, Dublin Bible Church, that there is a unity between all people who would put their hope and faith in Jesus. And that unity is stronger than any differences that would divide us. Kind of what he's said over and over again, he's zoning in on this. It's important to him that we understand that we don't live in isolation solo as followers of Jesus, but that we very much live within the context of a faith family. So he drove that home at the end of chapter 2. And then at beginning chapter 3, you see where he says, for this reason, he said, because of this unity. And he was going to take us into an idea that kind of flowed from this unity. But instead, what kind of happened in those first 13 verses is he had a little bit of a, a mind drift, a little bit of a rabbit that he chased. It's interesting, when my mind drifts, I tend to think about Alabama football or whether I did or did not remember to get the hair off the back of my ears before I left that morning. I, I tend to think about random things that are not all that important. When Paul's mind drifts, God breathes scripture comes out, all right? And so we got 13 verses uh, of a little bit of a, of a different track than he might originally had in mind to take. And in those verses we saw last week that he explained to us the mystery of the gospel that for hundreds of years, people could not have possibly clearly fully understood what it was that God was doing in this big story of redemption. But that in Jesus, he's made it clear and the mystery has been made known. He let us know that, but then he starts back here in chapter 3, verse 14. By saying this, sounds a whole lot like verse 1. He says, for this reason. <laughs> He's returning back, I believe, to his thought that he started in our chapter 3. For this reason. 
He says, for this reason, this unity, this work that Jesus has done to unite you. At the end of chapter 2, it says that, that you've become not just fellow heirs, but you've become members of the same household. Not just citizens of the same God community, but you're actually a family together. And he's taken us back to that again and says, it's because of this, it's for this reason that I do what I'm about to tell you I do. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I don't think here that he's referring to any kind of universal spiritual fatherhood of God, that in some sense God is everyone's father. When he says every family, I believe he's speaking of every family who is a follower of Christ across the annals of time, across all geography. Anybody who trusts in Christ is part of this family. He says he is this one, and so I bow my knees to him. We're not going to make a main point of emphasis of this today, but just in these first couple of verses, this kind of intro to these few verses this passage what you see is yet again in three chapters at least the fourth or fifth time that Paul is referencing his prayers on behalf of other people or he's telling them what they pray which by the way I believe is a great way for a follower of Jesus to encourage another follower of Jesus it's great to tell somebody hey I'm praying for you it's another thing to say hey I'm praying for you I often remember a verse from Colossians and it'll come to heart and I'll pray for people and I'll tell them, hey, I'm praying for you that you may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Right? Then I might unpack just a part of that or something, but let people know what you're praying for. Paul's done that some and we've seen him kind of have this quasi drift into like he's telling us what he's praying, but he's also kind of praying at the same time. Why am I pointing that out to you? Because I want you to see that the most impactful Christian in all history, aside from Jesus, knew that he had to be a person of prayer. And I think he's going to show us that even more in a little bit of a different way as he points it into the life of the Ephesians. Verse 16, he says this, this is what he's praying He's told us why he's praying, right? He's praying because this unity matters. He's praying because of what Jesus has done in their lives. He's praying because he knows that he needs God's power if he's going to make any real difference. And then he says this. This is what he's praying, verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength, listen to that, you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He says, this is what I'm praying for you in those first couple of verses there, 16 and 17. He says, I'm praying this for you, that you would have a new strength according to the riches of his glory. Right? That word glory, as best I can understand, always relates to the experience of God's character. Anytime you see glory in the Bible, it's talking about God is holy in his character. He is perfect and amazing and awesome. But it's not just that that's who he is. It's that we've experienced that. Right? And so when the glory of God shows up, it's like the blinders have been dropped for a moment and we're seeing clearly who God is. And we go, whoa. And that whoa kind of embodies something else we see glory stating in Scripture. It says, glory be to God or give glory to God. It's, hey, in response to me experiencing the character of God, I praise him, I worship him, I give him glory. He says, listen, according to the richness of that glory, According to, we've been over this before, doesn't just mean from, it means in like measure 
and in like kind. Right? So you could give something, if you're, if you're wealthy here today, you could give a gift to someone of 50 cents, and it would be a gift, and it would be nice, but you would be giving that from your wealth. It wasn't really costing you a lot. It didn't really match the proportion of what you have. But if you gave $50,000, whoa, right? That looks like it's according to your wealth, not just from your wealth. By the way, if you're wanting to give away $50,000, I have several different opportunities, okay, uh, for the glory of God, or you could just bless me. I'd like sod in my yard. But anyways, all right, so um, it may not cost that much, but I'll hold the extra for a tip, okay? Anyways, all right, so, right? But, but according to is this idea that God is not just handing out some, some little trinkets to you that he's not begrudgingly holding on tightly. And, and like my papa used to do, anytime I would visit him, he'd give me a quarter, but I had to be able to pull it from his strong thumb grasp, right? He'd say, come here, I got something for you, and he'd hold it out. And I, I'd be like, man, this is a strong, burly dude, and I'd have to fight it out of his fingers. God is not like that. Because God is going to bless you, and it's my prayer that he blesses you richly according to the riches of his glory. What's he going to bless us with in this grand measure, in this grand way? With strength. He's going to bless you, says Paul. I'm praying for him to bless you with strength, with the power of his spirit in your inner being. Listen, if you hear nothing else today, hear this. Because I've told you several weeks in a row now that Ephesians is kind of the whole first half is about this is who God made you. And the whole second half is about this is how you live as who God made you, and we're about to shift gears into that second half of here's some practical, here's how you live it out. But understand this first, and I love how God did this and put this place first. Paul is making it dangerously clear for us, don't walk into ignorance and think that you have the capability and capacity and strength to live a faithful life to God in and of yourself, because you don't. He says, look at my life. What have I been doing? I've been striving hard for the gospel, yes, but what do you see me doing often and telling you that I'm doing? And I'm writing it down for you now. I'm praying because I realize that I'm in need of a strength outside of myself if I'm going to make any kind of real lasting change that matters for eternity. It's not going to come just for me. I need to seek a strength outside myself. And then he tells them, he turns it around to them and says, listen, my prayer for you is that you would experience a grand strength outside of yourself. (laughs) Listen, if you get nothing else, hear this today. Big impact follows determined dependence. You want to have a big impact for the glory of God in your world, and big impact might be lots and lots of people meet Jesus through your life, or big impact might be one person gets to meet Jesus through your life because you invest the time to care about them individually, personally, in a way no one else ever would or maybe even ever could. You want to have a big impact for the glory of God? You want your life to have eternal purpose and meaning for his glory? Grab this. Big impact follows determined dependence. You have to live as a person who knows I have to not just knowingly with my mind, but functionally with my life depend upon a strength that is not mine. (laughs) My, My little man Freeman this week, Somehow he's amassed a little bit of money. He's five years old, and he's got like $40 in an Alabama uh, piggy bank, by the way. Like the money probably magically grows to championship fruition in that. I don't know how that works, right? But, right? He's got this money, and he's been driving us nuts this week. He's been lovingly, kindly, hasn't been rude about it, but he's asking us left and right, Dad, take me to the store, take me to the store, Mom, Mom, I need the store. Somebody take me to the store because he wants this new Lightning McQueen cars toy set that he's just got to have. But here's the thing. He wants it badly, and he's got the money in his bank, but he has zero chance of making his way from my house to Walmart (laughs) and from Walmart back home, and he has zero chance of doing that safely. 
He's dependent upon a strength and an ability outside of himself. Listen, don't give up on dreaming big things for the glory of God just because maybe they haven't worked out for you or they haven't panned out the way you would have hoped. Listen, possibly, I just submit this to you, that sometimes our dreams don't go the way that we thought they were for the glory of God. Not all the times, but sometimes because maybe we were trying to do our dreams for his glory and our strength. And when it's our strength, it will also be our glory. Dependence upon God. He's not giving us specific live this way, don't live this ways yet. But I think he's laying a baseline. He's laying kind of this soil for these directives he's going to give us in the next three chapters to grow up in. And he's saying, listen, I'm going to tell you some stuff to do and not do. But before we get that far, you got to have a heart that knows that you depend as much as you do for your sleep at night and your every breath. We just say you depend on God. Embrace that dependence, and what you'll find is not a shaming or a begrudgingly giving God. You'll find a God who is glad to give to you, and you'll find huge power and capability through your life that you don't have in and of yourself. So I'm praying that you'll have this strength by the power of his spirit in your inner being. And then he says this in verse 17, why? Why do we need this strength? What do we need the strength to see specifically? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. And this could be confusing, so I want to make sure we hear this accurately with, with, a, with a helpful and healthy theological approach. Right? What Paul is praying for these people is not that they would become believers in Jesus. Right? When you have the Spirit of God in your life, you either have it or you don't. When you become a follower, the Spirit is present in you. We've already seen that in the book of Ephesians. He's not saying, I'm asking that the Spirit would take residence in you so that Christ could live in you. He's saying, listen, I, I believe what he's pointing out here is Christ is there, but I'm praying that he dwell in you. And that word dwell has a specific emphasis here in the original language that is not just be present, but it is be at home. You can be in a place and not be at home there. You can be in a place and, and people can be as welcoming to you as they can possibly be, and you can still not feel at home there. When my mom comes to visit, it's always hilarious to me. They're here for like two days, and they literally have the whole back half of a Honda Pilot SUV packed full of stuff. We, don't, we, we need a guest room for my parents and a guest room for the stuff that she brings, right? It's like she just likes it how she likes it, and we always tease her about this, and we laugh. But what's interesting is anytime we need their time she's at my house, I have to borrow stuff from her. She's got stuff I don't have, right? But, but she's always got her stuff with her, right? She brings it. She has it there because she wants to feel at home. She wants to know I can be comfort here, and, and I need these things around me. I feel like I like these things, right? When my, as she calls it, command center at home where I've got my, my flossers and my highlighters and my multicolor of pens in case I need to write something down. I've got different kinds of glasses, right? I don't even know why we need all these different glasses. They're there. She brings this stuff because she wants to feel at home, and I believe what Paul is pressing into us is this. Don't be satisfied merely with the existence of Jesus in your life. Be a person who longs to live. Be a people who long to live together in unity such that you're striving to let Christ feel at home in your heart. Now listen, be, be really careful with this. I'm not sure that our striving actually changes the ability or, or anything that Jesus is or isn't going to do. I, I don't know about that, right? I don't think we're, that he's limited by us. But the approach is ours to say, hey, if I can alter this in my life, if I can alter this in my attention, if I can alter this in my decisions, and it would help it to be a place where I would imagine Christ would feel more at home, then that's what I want my life to be. 
what would happen if we became people who aren't just satisfied with the existence of Jesus in our life, but we long for this sharing of life where he's at home with us and we're at home with him. Right? He says, listen, be these kind of people that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. What happens when Christ dwells in our hearts through faith? He's given us some results. That you being rooted and grounded in what? Rooted and grounded in your discipline. To, to try hard enough. Rooted and grounded in your effort. Rooted and grounded in your knowledge. Rooted and grounded in your background. Your, your spiritual heritage. Your tradition. None of those things are bad in and of themselves. Those things are very useful in their right context. But he says if you're going to be rooted and grounded somewhere that's going to give you the essence to live. I want you to be rooted and grounded not in all these high holy theological ideas. I want you to be grounded in love. Get to those things. Let love carry you to long to learn more and know more. Don't you be rooted and grounded in love. I heard a pastor say once that he used to have big ideas and, and these multiple ideas of what it meant to grow spiritually. He could have mapped it out into a very complicated grid on a spreadsheet. And he said, but the older that I've gotten, I've, I've started to just assess what is healthy for me and helpful for me in my pursuit of Jesus just by this question. Does this help me love Jesus more? Does it help me love him more? Does it help me appreciate his love more in my life? Paul says, I want you to be rooted, grounded in love. How is that going to happen? What's going to be some of the fruit of that? Verse 18. <laughs> so that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Did you see the quandary in verse 19? Does verse 19 cause a question to spring up for you pretty quickly? He says, here's what I'm hoping for and praying for happens to you, is that you will know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. <laughs> he says, I want you to know the love of Jesus. By the way, you can't fully know the love of Jesus. <laughs> Put it in Jason. He's saying, hey, I want you to be really aware of this thing that you'll never be able to be fully aware of. That's crazy, right? Have you ever been so captivated and caught up with something that it seems so big? That there's just no way I'll ever wrap my mind around it, but I, but I also want to try. I had a, a contact, it's probably 10 years or so ago now, from a, a childhood classmate friend. Her name's Jill. She also happened to be my first love interest, at least that I recall. And I remember apparently, I, I remembered it when she told me. I never would have thought about it again. But apparently there was a moment in life when I was so smitten with her that I started writing her poetry. And for some reason, adult Jill with kids still had some of this, and that was really embarrassing, by the way. But she messaged me on Facebook, and she said, Scott, her husband, Scott and I have been, have been laughing all afternoon because we found some of this poetry. And in some of this poetry, all right, as I'm trying to tell her how much she means to me and how much just this idea of Jill and loving her and her love for me would just change my life forever, I said some really weird things, y'all. <laughs> Fifth grade is not a good time to be trying to do this, right? <laughs> Right. At one point, my favorite line was, more than Andy Griffith likes Barney Fife. <laughs> Y'all ain't even heard the punch yet. Get ready. More than Andy Griffith likes Barney Fife, I like you and your love melts over me like butter over a warm knife. <laughs> right? That's what I said. Right? Right? She said that to adult Jason, and I was like, man, that is embarrassing. <laughs> Young Jason was like, that's fire right there, baby. Back then, I probably thought, that's on fleek, right? But anyway. 
Right? What, what I want you to see, I want you to see that my little heart pitter-patter, my big emotion was going, I don't know what this glorious being is, and I can't fully explain it, but let me throw some words at it. Right? Barney Fife came out. <laughs> Listen, our God's love is so vast, it's so grand, that you will never fully comprehend how grand his love is. And for those of us who really like to understand how things fit together and how things work, and we're not real comfortable with not being able to put it in its right box and, and puzzle piece fit it together, that can be hard sometimes. And that might cause us just to kind of accept on a surface level, God loves me infinitely, and I'm so glad he loves me so much. And that might be about it for us, but it's not about it for the Apostle Paul. It's not about it for one who seems to have loved Jesus about as much as anybody I've ever seen, who sacrificed so much of himself and ultimately his life for the glory of Jesus. He goes, I'm not done with understanding the love of God. I don't want you to be done with understanding the love of God. It is vast and, and big and above all of your comprehension. And yet and still, I'm praying that you know it. I'm praying that you grow increasingly, stretching yourself around what it means, this love of God for you. Don't move past the love of God as if it was something you sang in elementary Sunday school. Seek it every day to know it more, to understand it more. And there are days where that may be complexing. You may be going, man, I, I, don't, I don't know if I really move forward any today, but there will be days where you go, God, I see your love clearly. It's amazing. Because I'm praying for you that you would have a dependence upon a strength outside of yourself and that as you depend upon God, that his spirit in you would grant you the ability the strength of soul, the strength of heart, the strength of mind to begin to comprehend this love that surpasses full comprehension. Now, quickly, these last couple of verses. What might happen in our lives? What might some of the fruit of this kind of life where we're constantly depending on and understanding and just living in all the love of God, what might happen in our lives? Verse 20, Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. But you see something about God in verse 20. It says that he is capable, that he is able to do, that he has the capacity for more than we are able to even think or ask. Now, I grew up in some faith traditions that encouraged you to just ask it and believe you were going to get it. And I still haven't dunked a basketball. I don't know what's going on. I've done it wrong somehow, I guess. Right. I grew up in, in some of those traditions, and that's not what I'm pushing you towards today. But what I am pushing us toward today is to not in a knee-jerk reaction against the name it and claim it faith, to make our faith small and our, and our request of God and our dependence upon God little. He goes, you have a God who loves you infinitely, who has the heart of a father, and fathers love to give good gifts to their children. This God is yours, and he is capable of doing more than you can think or ask. So right now, what's the biggest thing you could possibly imagine to ask God for specifically in your life? What's the biggest thing you can think of right now? Like, I, I would ask God for that, but I won't even ask because I don't think God would use me in that way. What, what's the biggest thing you can think of that he might do through your life? Whatever those things are that just came to your mind and heart, they're not big enough to grasp the capacity of your God. Because nothing we can get to is big enough for his capability and his ability. And it says, listen, this is the God that we want you to be connected to. This is the God that we want you to live in daily, 
hourly, regular dependence upon. Arrange your life around this God. Right? And he says you'll do that if you focus on his love. And as that happens, the outcome should be the ultimate outcome that we all hope for is this, is that he gets all of the glory. Verse 21. To him be the glory. We talked about glory. To him, right, may it be said that we have seen God at work through our lives. People will be able to go look at God. They will experience the character of God as the people of God are carried out on the mission of God. You know that God has positioned us. I mean, we say this kind of stuff all the time, but I, I heard it new and fresh in my heart in the last couple of days. I'm hoping you do too. God's plan for bringing the experience of who he is into Dublin, into Lawrence County, is you. <laughs> it is us. We have that honorable, noble task and opportunity that people could see us, spend time with us, worship with us, be served by us, be loved by us, be led by us, whatever it may be. Be, that that could happen and they could know God and know him deeply and know him intimately through our lives. It says to him be glory in the church. Right? So again, it's not a solo mission. It's a collaborative. It's us together. Do we all have different roles? Yes. Those different roles all fit together for the big purpose and picture of his glory. To him be glory in the church, and in Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to ask musicians and singers, you guys can go ahead and come up. That word amen at the end of that verse, most literally as I can best understand it, just means so be it. We're saying yes. We're saying yep, that's what I want to happen. Yes, I agree with that. And so when we pray and we say amen, we're saying yes. Those things I've said to you, God, so be those things. Paul's saying, so be it in your life that this not just be ideas. This not just be some churchy stuff that you've heard all your life and you could probably spout off from memory. Don't let it just be that, but let it so be in your life that you live as these kind of people that you would just, some of us today, right, it may not be about some new huge charge up the hill of faith in our life. It may just be about opening ourselves up for the very first time to go, okay, God, I'm going to get beyond practicing just some some superficial surface-level religion. I'm really going to try to trust that you're you, that you're a God who cares. Some of us today, it may be a specific thing that God's placing in our hearts that, that he's going, hey, look to me and let my love be your security to feel good about stepping into that thing into that person's life, into that way of serving. What is it in your life? Paul says, amen, so be it. As your pastor, I say from my heart, I'm praying that it would be an amen in our lives. It would be a so be it. We would be mesmerized by the love of God such that it moves our feet for his glory. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, there will probably never be a Sunday that I don't say if you don't know him, regardless of who thinks you do. If you're here today and you're not sure if you know him, come find me when we're done. Talk to a friend here or grab somebody that looks familiar. A lot of people here who don't want to coerce you into anything, just want to love you and help you. If you have questions or if we can pray for you. If you can't do any of that, maybe because of time or you just don't have that inside of you yet, you can check on that card that you'd like to speak with a pastor and Lord willing, we'll get with you this week. But know that there is a God whose high holiness and rich love 
is right and just to demand our whole lives. And what's crazy is that when we submit our whole lives to him, we're blessed. It's rich for us. It's better for us if we give everything to him. If you don't live that life yet, or maybe you're struggling in that life, how is it that God might move you just into your next step of faithfulness? Don't worry about three years from now. How is it that God might move you into your next step of following him in faith? Let's pray. God, I just simply ask, God, that you would let your love be seen by us as what it truly is. God, I don't ask you to make your love something different than what it is. You don't, you don't need any work to be done on your care for us, on your affections for us. They are strong and they are all-encompassing and perfect. God, let us see your love as it truly is. Open up our eyes in new ways, God. Next steps for each one of us. Show us what they are by the power of your Spirit dwelling in your people, would you lead us in what our next steps are? God, I pray that we would be a people moved by your love to worship you with our songs, to seek you with our prayers, to carry your name in our mouths. That we would see many rescued from hopelessness through our lives for your glory. We ask it all for your honor, Jesus. Amen. I invite you, you may need